ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Tonight the role of Colin Gardner will be played by Mark Lannister and the role of Mark Lannister will be played by Colin Gardner. There will be no refunds. I thank you. Without the aid of a safety net, third-party insurance, or a decent taste in shirts, welcome one and all to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. And by the law of averages, I must be one of them. Hello, hello, hello. That's the usual way I meet triplets. <laughs> but it's also, coincidentally, oh. the official greeting to this new episode, new next episode, of the Beetle Places podcast, folks. Are, are, are you well? Are you well? More, impo- applause, more importantly, are you ready for more of this stuff? Oh, I. Well, I, I, I was going to swear then, but I, I was going to say, I, I hope so, anyway. Don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> so the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl is here. And as our big badges say, we're our genial guides and podcast hosts providing you at no charge your regular slice of Beatles miscellany celebrating the world's greatest band and all things Liverpool, by the way. I'm Carl, and over there helping himself to all my custard creams is Mark. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm halfway through the packet there. Uh, if, it, <laughs> if it wasn't my ad-libs writer's day off, I'd say something about that. But, uh, hello all, I'm Mark, and I'm here to help things along and occasionally break into song. <laughs> Stop that. Uh, Cole has hit the nail on the head there. Time's once again to rattle our tonsils yes. for a while, with the Beetle Places podcast now playing to audiences worldwide and surrounding chip shops. And as per usual in each show, we'll chinwag about the Beatles, got their to. lives, got to. Got their to. legacy. Yes, mm. yes. And have a bag of chips as well. Oh, I. And here we are in Liverpool, the very epicentre of where it all began, bringing you lovely people, a whole bunch of Beetle Places musings and fun facts to while away an hour or so while you're having a bath <sighs> or going for a walk or a jog uh-huh. or shaving the poodle or all four at once <laughs> or cutting the grass or whatever <laughs> the Beetle Places podcast is about the band and John, Paul, George, Ringo themselves where they lived, loved, lost, played, dreamed and lots more besides Beetle Places is based upon uh, based upon even. or a con it is a con it is a con yes. the whole <laughs> thing's a con it's uh, blazed on Cole's ebook by the same name so together, not forgetting the excellent Beetle family trees. Oh yeah, and yeah. his latest tome, making knobbly knees more attractive to the opposite sex. Well, I've thought about it, and it's out now. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it, I, I just it, it's still upstairs. Oh, it's it, on the yeah, top shelf. Yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, so. Dot Matrix Printer is working very hard to print so, out the last five pages. So I'm not surprised. Yes, the filth <laughs> that's in that one. Right. Off you go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's my turn, isn't it? We, it take, is, yeah. we take turns doing this again. <laughs> Do you want to stay or go? No, no, on? it's all right. Just don't pull up, don't pull up a sleeping bag. So, go thanks, on. Mark. You're too much. Uh, in that case, I better stop paying him then. Yeah. So, uh, let's crack on and enjoy today's episode of the Beatles 
Places podcast, live from Liverpool. After all, this is where it all began, and a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Thanks. Well, according to my library fine letters, I'm Colin Gardner, <laughs> and him over there on several cushions Hi. is Mark Glinister. God bless his cotton sock. <laughs> hello there, chum. Hello there. Hello back. <laughs> hello, I'm front as well. <laughs> Especially hello to all the Beatles fans outside Shea Coles. That's it. I'm Mark. Thanks for listening. We hope you've had some fun and a laugh with our good selves as with the aid of this pair of jump leads, <laughs> we start the Beetle Places podcast. Ah, not there. No, yeah, but why? Yeah. Ah. Coming to a pair of ears near you every now and then, it's the Beetle Places podcast. Well, folks, in this episode, we'll have our regular features. Don't forget them, such as the Beetle Places trivia quiz, Mark's very own quiz, let's just see how good or bad you are today, or basically stupid. Hmm. The Beetle Places album guide to the Fab Four, which is just a big mixture of quotes and mini features. And also, this month in Beatles history, and you, you can kind of guess what happens there. Don't forget, we've got another one called the Beatles Book Review, where we're looking at one or two worthwhile, or maybe not so worthwhile, reads. I've got a stinker today, and it's a book as well. Um, <laughs> you can't say that. I can't say that, I've just said it. No. Uh, and of course, we'll have uh, one or two special features. So uh, this time... It's Cynthia Lennon, The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Girl... Plus, we'll have the random mutterings of Chairman Cole, quoting fascinating pieces from his book that I'll pick for him to read out, if he can. The sort of musical chairs with words, really. Yeah, yeah, musical chairs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so on with the merriment, everybody. First of all, it's the ever-popular, by Mark's own reckoning, (laughs) trivia quiz with Mark. I do get mistaken for Brad Pitt a lot. Glynister. Thank you very much. I paid you £10 to say that, didn't I? I think I'll get it back. <laughs> right. We have three questions for you now in the Beetle Places trivia quiz. If you'd like to write them down, I don't care whether you do or not, but it'll save you going back later on. Uh, so the first question is, mm. Stuart Sutcliffe, so an early Beetle, he had some middle names. What were they? That's what I'd like to know. Stuart Sutcliffe's mm. middle names. Mm. Have, not, you, have, you, have you got a middle name, Mark? I haven't. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Just call me Mr. <laughs> Uh, and question number two, uh, name the breakaway record label that was linked to Apple when uh, Apple was out. Then they did a breakaway one, sort of. He did. He did. Slightly yeah. different stuff on it. So mm. I'd like to know what it was called. That's a good question. And also, what happened on August the twentieth, nineteen sixty-nine? You're always giving me these date ones. Ah, I mean, yeah, it's good. I'm a, I'm a Beetle Place guy, not a Beetle Date guy. Well, you should have changed the name of the thing. Oh, I suppose so. Uh, Beetle Places and Dates. OK. Because there you go. All right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. shall I run through them again quickly? Quickly, quickly. Stuart Sutcliffe's middle names, please. The name of the breakaway record label linked to Apple. And uh, number three, what happened on August the 20th, 1969? I thank you. I, I thank you back as well with knobs on. Right, uh, Mark's going to challenge us with that. Let's see how we do. Hooray!
Rightio, let's see who can get them, and meanwhile, let's career on over to Cole, <laughs> doing star jumps, <laughs> munching multi-packs of energy bars, <laughs> doing the splits, combing his hair, and in preparation of our next feature, the Beetle Places Album Guide. Thank, thank you ever so much. I hope you like I've, I'm regaled in the uh, Beatles album guide uh, uh, clothing. Uh, do, do you like these? I think sequins are in this year. Very nice. No need yeah. for the bra, though. Oh, OK. Um, right. Uh, don't, <laughs> whatever you do, folks, don't picture that. No. Um, right. We're going to talk about the Beatles Places album guide to the Fab Four. And we're doing them in sequence as best we can. So your humble servant, Mr. G, is uh, very kindly explained that that's what we're going to do. And I'm saying thanks very to what he did so far. So uh-huh. well. Uh-huh. Where where are we? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'd like to be in a hot tub of eating ice cream right now. But in fact, we're doing this podcast and we're going to talk about the fantastic fifth Beatles album. And it's called, have a guess, Help! Ah! Don't forget the exclamation mark at the end either. Uh, that was important. Oh, aye. Yeah. Um, it was February 15th, 1965, when they began recording the Help album. So don't forget, they'd only just finished recording the last album in October 64. Just three little months. I mean, I leave socks on for longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so naturally, uh, it was such a hit, a huge song. It went with the soundtrack of the movie, and it naturally went to number one when it was released in August 1965. So I'll read out some of the uh, tracks from the album uh, and the... the Based on the old vinyl version, so we could do side one and side two. Side one, title track, help, exclamation mark. The night before, you've got to hide your love away. I need you, another girl, you're going to lose that girl, ticket to ride. Flip it over, wipe it with your anti-static uh, dust wipe, and we'll play, <laughs> you remember them? Oh, I. Anti-static gun, remember that? I've still got mine. Oh, I know you use that to scare neighbours with. Mm. Uh, uh, side two, act naturally. It's only love. You like me too much. Tell me what you see. Yesterday, dizzy Miss, Miss Lizzie. I mean, what, a, what a, what a list. Uh, and listen to that. The longest track, in fact, was only "Ticket to Ride." Roundabout, how long, Mark? Do you reckon? Ticket uh, to Ride. How long? Two minutes. 42 seconds. <laughs> That's very good. Oh, you're about a minute out. Oh. Three minutes, 12. Oh, well, isn't and it? the yeah. shortest track was It's Only Love, one minute, 58. And just a few more observations. There was a movie called Help before the band made their movie. So to avoid legal complications and copyright issues, they added the exclamation mark. Very clever. I often do that. Do you? Yeah, all the time. Right now, I just did one. You missed. You just missed it. An exclamation mark. Yeah. Um, George got two songs on this album, so good credit to him. Uh, it featured yesterday the only the world's most recorded song, and he never really made that into a UK single. It's been out on greatest hits and so forth, but uh, never officially a single in the oh. UK. Uh, George's song "I Need You" was the first song dedicated reputedly to his his girlfriend Patty Boyd and uh, that's a there's a fact all on its own because Patty Boyd had four songs famously written for her two from George and two from Eric Clapton her later boyfriend uh, the ones I'm thinking of is I Need You Something and then Eric uh, Clapton as Dom, Derek and the Dominoes or Ominoes 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 he wrote Layla and of course, he wrote the uh, quite nice, wonderful, wonderful tonight song. And you don't get four songs written about one woman every day of the week. You don't. And uh, she's a gorgeous lady by the by the looks of her as well. 
Uh, yesterday was the final title of a song that came to Paul in a dream, he said. He's often said this. Uh, my, mine are usually about being chased by polar bears. But um, he provisionally <laughs> called it scrambled eggs he did yeah and right mark for no points at all none zero zip nada aye big goose egg go on what was the next line in that version he made because he made up one just so he could carry the tune so when he was provisionally sort of knocking his tune together yesterday he called it scrambled eggs what was the next line in that song how I miss your hairy oh, legs oh yes Ah, you didn't think I'd get that. Yeah, I didn't think you'd get that. Ha, ha, ha. So I'll have to go to Beth Fred tomorrow and get One my money for me. back. Um, well, <laughs> well done, smarty. Thank you. Uh, the album cover is famously famous too. The old cohort and Beatles' favourite, a photographer that is, Robert Freeman was picked again. Uh, he was actually just hired to be on the movie set, really, for uh, things like colour consultancy and uh, he was going to do something with the title. Um, but when he saw the band filming a scene in Austria in capes with hats on, flapping their arms about, he got a kind of an idea. Maybe that could be done with, like, semaphore signals, something like that, spelling out the word help. So when he got into the studio and he tried to put it together, it didn't look too good graphically because when you really do help in semaphore, it doesn't look very good. The words, uh, the, uh, the album cover they really did, which is the one you see on the album cover, um, it's based upon the letters N, U, V and J. Uh, it looks better. Not That's J. the only reason. Well, you know. Should have called the film that. <laughs> with an exclamation so mark at the end. called it Nuvj. Nuvj, with exclamation mark. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not sure. I'd shout Nuvj if I was being chased by polar bears. But enough about me. Well, there's no more I can really add to that other than the album's really good. It's a great album still, still good. And look at those classics on the record. Wowee. And the movie was pretty good. They didn't rate it so much as uh, they did rate Hard Day's Night. I, I'm, I'm, I agree with them, to be honest. Do you reckon it's not as good? Hmm. I thought, I thought, I mean, admittedly, the, co the comedic value was there because they had Roy Kinnear in it. Yeah. And Victor Spinetti was red hot in that. He, and he was always funny. Um, and it, they had Patrick Cargill, of all people, Patrick Cargill. Mm. Not a bit like Cagney. Um, all of them were in, in that, doing their utmost as British comedy actors. And the Beatles were just as good as them. And I thought the story wasn't half bad either. So, uh, uh, okay, bit uh. meh, meh. But um, uh, still enjoy watching it when it's oh, on yeah. telly. Yeah. So now it's back to that exclamation mark, Lannister. Very and it's good. time to uh, enjoy this month in Beatles history. <laughs> Good evening. Here's a joke. How many nitwits does it take to make a podcast? Well, listen to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole to find out. Right, back to this. Why, thank you, young man. That's all right. <laughs> Candles. Right. Matches. Right. Right. This uh, is little section is called This Month in Beatles History, and in every Beatles podcast we feature This Month in Beatles History. It gives us a sense of how the band developed over the few years they were in existence. They did. This time we feature the month of, well, I haven't done the, I've done 
October, is that That's okay? perfectly okay by me, you know. Because uh, I don't know the month of flange. <laughs> oh, sorry. What you've typed Sorry in. me typing, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. Don't, don't bring it up, don't bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> carry carry right. on regardless. Dot matrix printer. What did I what did I tell you before? Right. Apologies for the odd uh, bit of paper going backwards and forwards, but um, I've uh, I've done this on the hoof, so to speak, as you were talking. Just I hoped you wiped your feet on the way in. Oh, I did. Yes. So um, October the eighth, nineteen sixty-four. Nothing to do with uh, music at all. Oh well. But a, a little interesting thing. Uh, in the morning, Ringo took his driving test in Enfield. And in order to avoid unwanted publicity, uh, in order, to, sorry, start again. He took his driving what, test right in Enfield. Right, the beginning, you mean? Uh, <laughs> he took it in Enfield to avoid unwanted publicity. He passed first time. He'd previously been driving a Ford Zephyr around <laughs> yes, Liverpool. Yes, presumably without a license. Yes, he does. Yes, naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in the afternoon, the Beatles were in Abbey Road recording "She's a Woman." On October the 8th, 1964. Busy and now day, eh? we whiz forward a year to uh, October the 26th, 1965. What do you think happened then? Any ideas? It, uh, it, be, it could it, be anything, it, really. It could be it? another driving test answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> You've got to do it properly this time, Ringo. <laughs> Don't hit any people on the zebra crossing. <laughs> Especially so, Abbey Road zebra crossing. Yeah. So we go to October the 26th, 1965. And that was quite a memorable day, actually, for the Beatles, because mm. um, they uh, they had a smoke. But where do you think they had it? <clears throat> um, I'm guessing a place called Buckingham Palace. They did. It was the day they were invested with an MBEs. October the 26th, 1965, ah, they got the their MBEs. Famously. People said that they, uh, they had a, a smoke with uh, some dodgy stuff in the toilets. But uh, later on, they said, no, we didn't. It no. was just... Uh, it was Brillo some, pads. Some ciggies in the, in, in the toilet. Lizzie's toilet. Um, so now, forward another year to 1966. October the 26th, 1966. And uh, Ravi Shankar arrived at London Airport. And as uh, to uh, welcome him, George Harrison dressed up to meet him. In Indian clothes. Mm. But Ravi Shankar, who was European educated, arrived in a Western suit. <laughs> Shirt and tie and Cowboy suit hat. and everything. Yeah. Uh, so it must have embarrassed George a little bit as he's uh, made an effort to get dressed up. Well, and there's Ravi Shankar. He was just a devotee, wasn't he, by then? He was, so, yeah. yeah he was a so, keen. Keen, yeah. But, uh, oh, dear Ravi, what have you come in? <laughs> so, come on, <laughs> let's go off to Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> so... That was it, uh, Beatles history, October 1964, 1965 and 1966. Well, shiver me timbers. That was, that was very good. Ah, off the hoof. Very was. good. Yeah. Off the hoof. Um, three out of ten. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Um, I'll could, have another custard cream now, thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> so, folks, um, that was this month in Beatle history. And he's going to do another one the next time. I am. So, uh, between you and me, let's get on with our next feature. I know. Okay, everyone, we're going to talk about the Beatles book review. 
Good and bad, here it comes. Mark and me are going to read a couple of books and you won't be surprised. There's a gazillion books about the Beatles. So, to save you a few, Bob, we brought them all here today. Mark's got a wheelbarrow, I'm yeah. backing my truck up now. Hey, and we've read them all, heavy. we've read the lot. And now we can tell you which ones are worth uh, spending money on. And uh, this time we uh, we blew all our birthday postal orders from me <laughs> from me auntie Mary, God bless her. On I haven't got an auntie Mary. Oh well, um, that's enough said, I think. Right. Uh, and I got this one. Oh. And you've got that one. I've got that one. Yeah. So, and yours is you do first. Yeah, this then. one's about um, six inches long and it's quite hard. Oh, oh you mean what's it's what a it's called? Book. What it's called? Yes. It's, a, it's an hard back book, and it's called <laughs> Drive My Car. And it's literally, um, it's, uh, it's a fantastic little read about the hundred objects that made the Beatles the Beatles. And I, I was curious about getting it, but um, a fellow called Brian Southall has put together um, a picture uh, catalogue of what the Beatles are in, in a supposed history style. But also it tells you a lot about what those objects mean in terms of how they succeeded, what it meant, what it was about where it fitted in their little beetle history and so forth. So I'll pick one out that I like at random. Oh yeah, possibly that one. Yeah. Oh so, hi. Yeah, so um, that's the thing about Brian Southall. He's, he's, he's picked some random objects that made some kind of a difference to the Beatles. Uh, and I'm gonna pick the one that I quite like. Where is it? Is I it? don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying my utmost. I'd say you need a bookmark. <laughs> well, <laughs> do you know what? If I'd have thought this through, we'd be in trouble. But uh, luckily... If you don't rehearse, nothing you, can go wrong. Yes, I don't. Ah, uh, yeah. This is all planned. Um, yeah, he's took a picture here of a piano. Just an ordinary little uh, piano. We used to have one looked a little bit like that at home. Oh. And uh, it belonged in Abbey Road. And it was uh, just battered. Fairly tedious looking. Looked a bit knackered to me. That looks um, like one you... you, you they play in school assembly. Yeah, yeah, and we, we ding, ding, yeah. ding. <laughs> everybody, right, <laughs> <laughs> in the key of X. Mm. Um, so this is an Abbey Road piano he's talking about. The battered upright jangle piano, and he gives a little little sort of history about it. So when the Beatles arrived in Abbey Road, they just used whatever instruments were in the studio sometimes, and this included the piano that was uh, there. And there was a few of these, and they were on they were on wheels. It was nothing classy or fancy or um, I don't know. Let's say the words refined about them. They just looked a bit used, and and yet these are the iconic musical instruments that made their way onto these iconic records. And uh, this was what the, the brand of piano was a challen, challen. And uh, for the life of me, these are worth a lot of money, a million pound each, easy. Because uh, tunes like Obla D, Obla Da, you can picture the instrumental keyboard bit at the beginning. Ding, da, da, ding, da, da, ding, 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 ding. Even that one in the right key. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and many other tunes like that were played on the challenge piano that was just lying around. Didn't wasn't brought in especially, it was just lying around. And uh, for some reason, um, a couple of years later, it was sold and EMI recovered it quite quickly hey. um, also these, these pianos are used by other bands like uh, Pink Floyd uh, and they, they ended up on their records Dark Side of the Moon gets a, a mention from the very same piano ah. and one of our favourite people Jake Thackeray he had the use of this piano in his time as well. So we're keen on a little folk singer called Jake Thackeray and the Jangle piano was used for 
bloody well everything really um interesting and brian southall uh kind of covers the subjects of objects that made the beatles the beatles their discs their obscure records around the world the first japanese records on toshiba um all these things get a mention and a little story to go with it and there's even a shoot list of when they made the video stroke film for strawberry fields which is just a page or two but to say you know Turn up 30th of January 1967. Here's the the director. Where they're going to be? They're going to be in Knoll Park on the estate there in Seven Oaks in Kent. Please all turn up by 9 o'clock and be on location by 10.30 and we'll do the shoot. And that's how they put together Strawberry Fields video. Loads of stuff in this Brian Southall thing. It's a very good read because, again, it's one of my favourite types of things. One you can glance at, the page has everything in it. There's not more pages to it. It's it's just a concise information. Let's say Reader's Digest will be bite, biting their toenails One off. page for each item. Yeah, so. and it's a hundred objects that made the Beatles the Beatles. It's very nice. Yeah. I think a nice so. picture of his roller on the front. Yeah, uh, that's the uh, Lennon ro- roller. Uh, yeah. And there's a, by the way, there's a clone of that in Liverpool. There you, is? Yeah, you see it around. It's ah. a taxi. And um, if you're very lucky and got a few bob, you can ride it. Probably cost um, a fortune to ride it. And that, it probably cost yeah. a fortune. But I think I know the guy who does it, so that's another story. Ah, right. um, there you go. Good book. <coughs> that's very worth, nice. Worth reading. When was it published, young man? Oh, you, want to, you always want another find. Yeah, I'd just like to know how old uh, it is. Um, you know. uh, it was produced 2013. Ah, so not that old then. No, no, it's still around. It's still on sale. Brian Southall. Drive my car. Very nice. See if you can get one that isn't wrinkled by reading it in the bath. <laughs> Well, you know, they double as a sponge. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Right. Well, from him to me, and I'm reading a book. uh, Well, not reading it. I'm reviewing a book that has uh, around about 490 pages in it. A4 size. So it's quite heavy. And it's called The Beatles Phenomenon. A celebration in words, pictures and music. Uh, And looking at the front page, it says, unfortunately... It's not authorised for sale in the United States. Oh, shucks so, be damned. Terribly sorry. You can get it in New York, it says here. That's where that's not for sale in there. Though the well, bus have their offices there, right, but they're not publishing yeah. it in the States. <laughs> Paris, Sydney, Copenhagen, Berlin, Madrid and Tokyo. Oh, it's to do with copyright. It is. And it's, for some strange reason, it's printed in China. <laughs> so there you go. Phenomenal, uh, phenomenal. And what it is, it's uh, a collection of the 100 greatest songs by the greatest band and mixed in with uh, photographs and a bit of diary stuff. Um, but each page, each little section has got um, the music of the various songs in. So we go from 1963 and there we have a page, Please Please Me on it. So you can sing along to oh, that yes, if you like. Yeah. It says harmonica there. Yeah, with, stuff a, like that. with a tap, tablature um, for the guitar. From Me to You. Very good. And then we go from 1964 with them playing um, on the stage in, I don't know where that is. It doesn't say. Could be Paris. Uh, it is. It's Paris. Well, wow, very good. I recognise the back there, all that black bit is yeah, Paris. Yeah, Les Beatles, it says yeah. the back, aren't <laughs> um, And there's a picture of John with Aunt Mimi. Uh, and George said... Uh, when, when they flew to Hong Kong, uh, and George was saying, the best flight I remember was the one to Hong Kong. It t- took several hours, and I remember them saying, return to your seats because we're approaching Hong Kong. And I thought, we can't be there yet. We've been sitting on the floor drinking and taking preludines for about 30 hours. <laughs> and so it seemed like a 10-minute flight. <laughs> so 
Uh, not saying do that, but uh, it's one way yeah. of uh, shortening I, I'm the flight. I'm like that after a couple of uh, throat lozenges. Yeah, and a sucker didn't see uh, tree bombing. <laughs> uh, there you have, she's a woman, I'll follow the sun. Lots of nice pictures yeah, I haven't yeah. seen pictures, before. Pictures are excellent. Nice yeah. colour photographs. Colour, black and white. A nice big um, notation for the music. And we carry on all the way through up to 1970. Oh, right. I like the order of the chronological bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pictures of, uh, well, one uh, Paul recording uh, McCartney album as well. Mm. Ready for release on the 17th of April. But uh, he didn't want to do any interviews for it. That was in 1970, April. Uh, but he said, he'd, I'm not, not doing interviews for us. Uh, and then the last few pages, let it be. Uh, we end with that. And then finally, the last page, all the Beatles together. Hair, beards, long hair. Last photo session, that looks and like. It's, um, yeah. And it's in, in the end. And in the end. So I think it's still available, possibly. You never know. It was published in 19... Uh, no, sorry, 2008. Uh, by Omnibus Press. And it's only available in Mozambique, you said? Yes. Yes, yeah. right. You can't buy it anywhere else. <laughs> or the Isle of Man. Oh, you can get it in the Isle of Man. Isle of Man, Mozambique, yeah, perfect. That's it. I know a guy. So it's quite a collectible book that will become yeah, treasured, I yeah. would think. Yeah. A uh, hundred songs in there. So uh, apart from the weight of it, which is... Yeah. Rather a lot. Yeah. But it's omnibus, so omnibus. That's uh, on the music stand, the music stand will collapse. <laughs> get, get a couple of bruised toes, you go, never again. So it doesn't say who sort of wrote it, it's just a bit of everything Actually, by everybody. No, no, I noticed that, yeah. Um, well, it, it's so, kind of, uh, it's not untypical of uh, contributions from journalists anyway, and it's it's information that's sort of called and pulled from a lot of experts. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a really good local guy called Kevin Roach. And uh, I will cover one or two of his excellent local books. He's a local historian, big Beatles fan, and he's done some stuff that I've done with Mark Lewison, so you know Mark Lewison, uh, who's written uh, some the, the best stuff in, in the world about the Beatles. And uh, Kevin Roach's stuff is, he's a researcher for Mark Lewison up in Liverpool. And um, uh, he, he's just fantastic. The, the stuff he gets hold of, I don't know how he did it, but he's great. So, Super um, duper. That's very good. Well, what happens now, Cole? Well, I think what we'll do is we won't be surprised to know, but what we're going to do is we're going to have a little pause. Right. Giving unemployed, good-looking, tall, handsome, well-groomed voiceover artists a bit of part-time work. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. Is that all right? That's fine. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Next. Right, what happens now, Col? After that break? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, you wanted you wanted me to say something. Well, I Go think on. it's time, just yeah. quickly, that you went and recovered those Beetle trivia questions again, just to throw them at me, because uh, let's say them. What have we got? Right. Question number one is: Stuart Sutcliffe, an early Beetle. Stuart Sutcliffe's middle names. I would like, please. What are Stuart Sutcliffe's middle names? Okay. Any idea? It's uh, not Elsie, that's a clue. No, Hildegard. Ooh. Close, close, uh, Aloysius. Oh, we'll see when we get to the end. Okay. Uh, and also, question number two. Name the breakaway record label that is linked to Apple. It, they uh, sort of breakaway one and they released avant-garde sort of stuff. 
Was it was it music for pleasure? Very close. Again, you're getting very close nowadays, Colin. <laughs> Get back a bit, will you? Uh, and question three is this one. What happened on August the 20th, 1969? August the 20th, 1969. So Stuart Sutcliffe's middle names, the name of the breakaway record label linked to Apple, and what happened on August the 20th, 1969? I think our family went to Patheli that year. Butlins again. I left school. Did you now? Good heavens. Well, um, no, both, I didn't. Wait, you came yeah, into school. To. You joined school. Well, it was the holidays, so yeah. how, how could you left? Oh, you oh, could have left school. Yeah, mm-hmm. you would have had a good time. No, but I didn't, though. I was still in school. Right then. Okay. Without any further ado, in oh. fact, no ado at all. <laughs> Not a sausage. We're fresh out, so here's Col with our featured topic tonight, taken from the Beetle Places book, written by the man himself. Oh yes, that's me. Here's a fiver. <laughs> it's about Cynthia Lennon. The Extraordinary Life of a Very Ordinary Girl. Well, I thank you greatly indeed, Mark. Thank you for that. Sorry. Expertly done, and I like it. Do you? Please keep it up. I am. So here I am with a feature tonight. Um, I'll try and uh, keep it brief and simple and short and interesting and nobody will nod off, I almost guarantee you. We're going to talk about a very brief history of Cynthia Lennon. Uh, A few people have been in touch about Cynthia Lennon's... uh, The pictures I've put up on the Instagram thing when I've gone and photographed where she was brought up and uh, the area where she's from. So I thought, right, let's just put it all into a little sort of historical note. Read out who she knew, what she did and when she did it and see what you think. So, a brief history of Cynthia Lennon. Cynthia Lennon was born Cynthia Powell and she was there when there was no Beatles. John Lennon was just a boy and he was in college and Paul and George were actually school kids. Yet she became the wife of one of the most famous people on the planet and the biggest band in the world. So by her own account, she always expected to be having a quiet life as a very shy individual, but in fact she had a very opposite life. Her own story is virtually unknown, but I think it's worth telling. So she was born the 10th of September 1939, and she was born in a place called Blackpool in Lancashire, which is just a bit north of Liverpool. And that was because she was moved there because World War II had just, just about anyway, broken out. Her mother was evacuated there from Merseyside on the eve of World War II and when Liverpool was expecting to be blitzed because of its docklands and its industry. So his, her mum Lillian stayed in a very small hotel, what we call a B&B, a little bed and breakfast place, facing the Blackpool seafront. And apparently, according to Cynthia's own biography, there was a very formidable landlady who ran the place and she wasn't very nice, put it that way. Uh, because the accommodation for a mother as a pregnant lady about to give birth was really, really basic. In fact, Blackpool in 1939 was absolutely rammed to the doors with expectant mothers because they were all shoved there because of war coming. And uh, that was the strange phenomenon about uh, Blackpool at that time. A lot of pregnant people walking around. (laughs) Can you picture that? This is even stranger. There was even more midwives. There was uh, like two midwives per pregnant woman up there at the same time because they, of course, had to deliver the babies. The recorded birthplace for Cynthia was 601 Promenade South Blackpool in Lancashire. But Lillian was transferred to what they call a a house of temporary labour. I gather it was no more than just like a little room with a bed and a bucket, to be graphic. So uh, once she was born, however, Lillian was so desperate to get out of Blackpool, she left with her husband, uh, even though it was probably not medically sound to 
do that. So I looked into that. Um, and you know me, Mark, dog with a bone. So Hi. I went and found out that the landlady who ran the place was a Mrs. Annie Jowett. She was born in 1875. How old would she have been? Oh, I don't know. Quite old. Yeah, quite old. Anyway, a stern lady. But um, the, the good news was there was a little uh, hotel waitress working in the place and she was from just around the corner from where Lillian Powell was brought up in a part of Liverpool called Wavertree. And uh, she actually went back there after the war. So uh, the good news was that uh, as and when Lillian went into labour, she was absolutely surrounded by midwives who lived either side of her in the, be in the bed and breakfast place she lived at. In fact, uh, there was something like um, uh, 15 midwives in the neighbourhood. So you, you couldn't fail. You couldn't fail. Uh, the one, I think, who delivered the baby was a lady called Gertrude Wally. Gertrude came from a place called Preston in Lancashire, and she was a sister uh, midwife. And so, much like uh, Paul's mum, who was a midwife anyway, so, uh, as much as I know, Gertrude was involved in delivering Cynthia. <clears throat> uh, let's see, what else was there? Yeah, so uh, an awful lot of midwives, awful lot of pregnant people. Funnily enough, awful lot of teachers in Blackpool at that time because the kids had to be evacuated somewhere. And like people like Neil Aspinall and people like that, when they were evacuated to Wales and so forth, my dad was evacuated to Wales, um, they were just sort of out of harm's way because of the bombing from the Germans, as in when they came in 1939, 1940, 1941, when it was a bit hairy. Um, so um, everyone sort of moved up and moved away from the busy area or the likely targets, and that included school teachers and school kids. So who were the parents of Cynthia? Well, they were Lillian, who I've mentioned. Her, her original name was Roby, and she lived in a, came from a place called West Derby in Liverpool. Now, interestingly... Uh, Dad, excuse me, I was about to burp then. Uh, excuse yeah, me, how right. unprofessional. Um, strangely, uh, interestingly more so, uh, Dad was called Charles Powell. And he came from a place called Windsor Street, Toxteth. Now, Windsor Street, if Beatles know this Beatles stuff, that's where Ringo worked. He worked for Hunts and Sons in Windsor Street. So, in spite of all this sort of, um, commentary that the Powell family were posh, and they lived in a posh area. Not quite so, not quite so, because they had more humbler backgrounds than most people know about. So in spite of that posh label, they came from just ordinary working class homes like everybody else. So when they did come back, uh, they moved away from the road they, they originally lived in, a place called Brookdale Road in Wavertree, which is where Frida Kelly, the Beatle fan, Beatle, uh, Beatles, I need to say Beatle places then, uh, where the Beatles fan club uh, Frieda Kelly came from Brookdale Road uh, so they moved over the water as we call it over the River Mersey to a place called Hoy Lake which Mark will know a lot better than I do uh, and uh, in around about 1940 and uh, they never went back to Blackpool I'll tell you that so um, Cynthia went to live in Hoy Lake which is uh, do you want to describe Hoy Lake? Yeah it's an old fishing town it's yep. grown a bit since then actually my nana used to know Cynthia's mum. Oh, I. Because um, where they, the roads that they lived in on Trinity, Trin Road, Trinity Road is opposite, across the road, Market Street runs 90 degrees to Trinity Road. That's the main road. Yeah. And then on the other side of Trinity Road, across Market Street, is Elm Grove, which is where my nanny used to live. Ah. And my mum. That'll be that's interesting. So, and she knew Cynthia's mum. I think in a sort of area like Hoylake, like we know it, 
the smallness of it meant you did know everyone's behaviour and business sort of sort. Yeah, yeah, sort everybody of. knows what was going on. Not, not untypically. Um, no. Did you know where a first school was? Uh, I don't. It no. was the parade. Was well, it? It was the parade on the prom. My yeah. school, and I used to go there as well. Yeah, um, I thought uh, as much. So I um, you never knew, and there you know. You can see my carvings on the ladies' toilet wall. Uh, oh, all yeah, all coppers yeah. or something or other. I can't remember <laughs> what you wrote now. Um, so it, it, it's on uh, Hoylake Promenade, and Hoylake faces the Irish Sea. And to the right of Hoylake, uh, you can see Liverpool and its environs over the River Mersey. And the school is still there, isn't it, Mark? It is. It's now a social centre. Oh, yeah, I've been there. It yeah, is. been there not, not so long ago. Uh, and you have some lovely, it's a lovely place to go for a walk, actually. Oh. Um, so Cynthia's first boyfriend, uh, and I'm going to clear up the air about these boyfriends. The first one was a fellow called Alan Price. And he met her in, uh, not the singer-songwriter, <laughs> he came from a place called uh, Red House Bank in West Kirby. Oh. Uh, did, did you know Red House Bank? Uh, posh. Is it? No Semi-posh. Yeah. Well, he, he dumped her for another girl, so, oh. uh, you know, to him. Um, then, uh, 1952, this is when Cynthia got noticed for her artistic ability. And, and there was a local advert in the local newspaper called the Liverpool Echo, and they ran an art competition. I've been looking for this stuff, I never did find it. But um, she qualified as a result of that to go to junior art school. Uh, however, it was based in Liverpool, in a place called Gambia Terrace. And what's Gambia Terrace? <clears throat> Go on. It's where all the art students all lived, including John Lennon. Aye. So, uh, that, in a place called Hillary Mansions, and we've been there too, haven't we? So, we have. So, uh, in a weird way, um, kismet, if you like, Cynthia, age 12, went to a junior art school in Gambia Terrace, just a few doors down from Hillary Mansions. Uh, that's, uh, that's convenient because her dad actually went to Liverpool to work every day. And so together they went, he went to take her to school and then they came home by train every day. And it was there that um, Cynthia met her lifelong friend, a lady called Phyllis McKenzie. And they became graduates of the art school and then they went to the big school, the Liverpool Regional Art Centre, the Liverpool College of Art. And she went there to study for an art diploma because she wants to be an art teacher. By 1956, she'd moved into Trinity Road in Hoylake, which is the more famous of the powerhouses that she moved in. She'd moved to a little one in Waverley Road. Waverley Road, aye. Um, so, right. yeah, the, the, the one that other photographs have been taken of and where the Beatles went and John Lennon went a lot was 18 Trinity Road. And they moved there in 1956. It's a little terraced house, isn't it? Mm. Nothing, I'd nothing. like to know how he got there, actually. Did he go on the train or yeah. what? Because if he did, he must have walked past my nana's house if he got off at Manor Road Station. Oh, he uh, did. He did, he, he must did, have got yeah. off at Manor Road Station, walked along the little path by the side of the railway and up past my nana's house. Well, there's something else, so we'll, you'll be signing autographs after this show. I will, yes. Yeah. Whether I saw him, I don't know, but I would have only been a little lad. <laughs> yeah, pushed in the pram, no doubt. Yeah. Because, yeah, he did. Uh, there's a later thing I'll mention in just a sec. So uh, we get to a key point here when she had a, a major boyfriend, a, a fellow she used to call Barry, and we never knew anything about him. And um, Barry was this, uh, <coughs> what they call a Hoylake Romeo. Oh. He had dashing Mediterranean looks and the the word the word was and she never did mention any of the biographies autobiographies she ever wrote um what his surname was and uh other that uh, a dad his dad was a window cleaner so and we uh, all know about window cleaners we all know window yeah and they clean they windows, clean windows yeah. Yeah. so 
<laughs> Thank you, Mike and Bernie Winters. <laughs> um, so, um, who was Barry? Well, I, lo- I looked into this and I did the dumbest thing. It was a couple of years ago. But um, like what the internet is nowadays, local, com- local communities have local little websites. So there's a Hoylake one. And I spoke to a guy there called John Cronin, who's a smashing fella. And I said, do you mind if I put a question out on you, like a billboard, whatever the word is. Did anyone know who Barry was, who was the guy who dated Cynthia Lennon? Because Barry apparently got engaged to Cynthia. And John Lennon didn't take umbrage when he first met her. He, uh, he kind of said, I didn't want to marry you. I just wanted to have a dance with you, or whatever it was, uh, famously he said. <coughs> um, because she was allegedly engaged to Barry. And uh, things were being planned, you know, money was being saved in the bank and stuff. Aye. So um, she had this relationship with this Barry. So I put out the question, does anyone know who Barry was? Five minutes later, yeah, <laughs> yeah, everybody it's knew. It's me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm Spartacus. <laughs> um, and um, the local boy was a fellow called Barry Salmon, as in the fish. So um, he wasn't dressed like one, but she never named him. And that thing was... If she'd have named him, I wouldn't have bothered with all this. But there we go, I did. Well, that's so he was the Hoylake Roman, a very handsome guy from all accounts that people told me. And Barry Salmon was, in fact, his occupation was a bookmaker's clerk. So he worked at bookies. Ah. And uh, he occasionally helped his dad with the odd window cleaning job, cleaning windows. Um, and, of course, um, they, had a, they had a social life in Hoylake. So Cynthia and Barry went to the local cinema, the Winter Gardens in Alderley Road... Mm-hmm. Bell. I've been there. I've been there many times. I can't remember what I saw, but I went there. I can. Um, it's at the bottom of the road where he came from, Alderley Road. Aye. Um, so he came from there and they sat in the courting seats, which are like a gather, a seat without the armrest in the, the middle. The back row. Yeah, back row. <laughs> and um, yeah, so um, they got on famously, but it never wasn't going to last because Barry kind of fancied a red-haired lady oh. in the same road as He's where Cynthia came from. Lothario, in, was he? Yeah. Ooh. I don't know what religion he was, ah. but he uh, he went out with another girl <laughs> and uh, and we never knew her name and I never did find out her name, but oh. she was red-haired. She lived in Trinity Road and it upset Cynthia for quite a little while. Um, the other news is about Barry is he sadly died in 1994 uh, locally. Uh, but he, he, he married and um, he had a life. And uh, if we'd have known more, it would have been interesting. But there was Barry Salmon, first serious boyfriend of, of Cynthia's. Aha. You want the best. You expect the best. You deserve the best. So while you're waiting, here's the Beetle Blazers podcast with Mark and Cole. <laughs> Hey, thank you. Cole will return with part two of the Cynthia Lennon story in just a tick. First, though, we've a new segment to this uh, podcast. What's a thingy? What whatever it's called? <laughs> it's a podcast. A plod podcast. A podcast. All about policemen. The, <laughs> the random mutterings of a chairman, Cole. What's new? You say. Well, in each show, I'll give Cole a chance to read an item from one or two of his Beetle Places book, which I'll select at a random. Ah. So I'll begin proceedings by asking Cole to sit down, stand up, <clears throat> take a breath, flick through his <laughs> weighty tome. Hang on, what was the first one again? Stand up, sit down. <laughs> Put your left leg in. Uh, oh, it's not hokey-cokey with Cole, is it? Uh, flick through his weighty tome and also his book. Uh, and uh, when I say stop, 
He reads out a portion of the book. Hopefully it won't be a blank page or the index <laughs> or the back of the book. Shall I start now, so, mister? Uh, are you ready? Yes, mister. Gird your loins. Off you go. Stop. What have we got? A fella called Johnny Hutch Hutchinson. Oh, aye. Wants to know more about this fella because this fella played the drums with the Beatles once ah. or twice. Two or three times, in fact. Not a nice guy from all accounts. John Howard Hutchinson. Born in Malta, 1940. Ah. He, uh, He's a Malteser. He, he, <laughs> not, not as tasty, but I know where you're coming from. <laughs> he had a number of associations with the Beatles. First of all, he was a drummer in 90, from 1959 onwards with Kaz and the Casanovas. Uh-huh. One of those sort of bands where it was you know, Dave and the Mellotrons or something like oh, that. Yeah. Um, and he next joined uh, the famously Johnny Gustafson and Adrian Barber, who are pretty much uh, musicians, musicians, because he and them formed the Big Three. They were a really big deal once upon a they time. They were, yeah. So jo- Johnny actually made cars from spare parts. I mean, how people do it these days, I don't know, but... And he actually sold Ringo, uh, one of his first cars, before he learned to pass his driving yeah, test. That Ford Zephyr thing that was originally <laughs> no, well, started out as a Morris Minor, was it? Yeah, <laughs> a bubble car. Yeah. Um, he, he sold him a standard Vanguard, that's the make and model. Ah. 75 quid. That's a lot. Yeah, them days too, yeah. Um, late, uh, later, though, Ringo did sell it on. So he, he was kind of uh, clever that way. Yeah. Um, so... Forming the big three, they got a reputation for playing very loud rock and roll. And they were ably supported by Adrian Barber, who <coughs> was a Yorkshire guy from Wharfdale in Yorkshire. Oh. And he had, uh, let's say he was an electronics whiz. Nowadays, they, they make computers and things, but he made guitar amps, really uh. good ones. And he made uh, <coughs> coffin amps that Paul McCartney was interested in. So the band were eventually managed because they were getting get a reputation, doing well and the gigs and everything else. Um, not as pretty as the Beatles, let's put it that way, but they had a reputation for playing good, loud rock and roll. But Brian Epstein took an interest in them. But in fact, they just turned out to be too rebellious and soon they were dropped. So uh, very unfortunately, they quit him before he quit them. Um, uh, in May of 1960... Uh, he was auditioning with Cast and the Casanovas at the Wyvern Social Club, which is in Seal Street, not far from the Jacaranda. Ah, and not that, in Wyvern. Oh, am I wrong? No, I don't Did I know. say that wrong or right? Well, no, that looks the Wyvern, like the Wyvern. What why is it called the Wyvern? I wonder. <clears throat> I gather after the guy who ran it. Ah, Mr. Wyvern. Uh, yeah, Brian Wyvern. Um, <laughs> I'm making this up You're as I go along. This up. Yes, I noticed. Um, That's your next quiz. Why so was it called the, the Wyvern? I'll find that out for you, matey pie. So that was later the Blue Angel. Now that's a more famous club. Could have um, been on Wyvern. But on the day, um, Johnny Hutch was there with his band, and he was back in, as it turns out, another band who turned up hoping to get some work. They were called the Silver Beetles. I spelt with two E's. Uh, they didn't have a drummer. And they were hoping to get some work with the famous impresario, a fellow called Larry Parnes. Billy Fury, a famous Liverpool singer, was there. And uh, he was famous before they were all famous, that's for sure. Um, And hopefully they could have backed him as a backing band. So the trouble was they had to audition, but they had no drummer. So Johnny was filling in for, uh, for them. Uh, just for that one particular audition. Um, a scene in the pictures that were taken by Cheniston Rowland, who was the photographer on the day um, of the scene, but uh, not that you'd notice, just a guy playing the drums, looking kind of bored. 
But um, Johnny Hutch didn't particularly like Lennon very much, um, probably because he was very sarky and mm. um, silly. And, uh, <clears throat> and in spite of them needing him, um, he, he was kind of reluctant to play anymore. Anyway, he did help them one more time, even though they got the Scottish gig a bit later on with Tommy Moore. Um, a bit later on, um, he helped them out the day after they got rid of Pete Best. In fact, I think it was the same day. Oh, dear. Um, they had a gig in Chester, which is near us, and um, just down the road a piece. Uh, on the 16th of August, 1962, they had a gig in Chester, probably the River Park, and they needed a drummer, a late replacement drummer. And on that day, Johnny Hutch Hutchinson said, yeah, all right. And uh, that was his last association with them. Um, he's been interviewed since, um, but he never kind of took off fame-wise. The band, the big three, split up in about the mid-60s. And he often said that um, he, could have been, he could have been a Beatles drummer, but my, my thinking is, no, he wouldn't have been. Anyway, little brief history, Johnny Hutch. Ah, and all that is from uh, Cole's book. And uh, next time we'll be doing something of the same as well. Thank Absolutely marvellous. Thank you very much. Uh, now, Mark usually does the jingles here, but he's got the hiccups. So um, I'm just going to let you know, uh, you'll, any second now, he'll tell you that this is Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. Just uh, let him get over this. You want to drink a water? Put your head between your knees. Well, thanks very. Now it's time to catch up with our Mark again. He's back in the Hooray! room. And he's just come back from the beauticians. Oh, yeah. did, did you get your money back? No. Uh, okay. Very disappointed. Because uh, uh, those eyelashes will just keep curling, you know. Uh, to get the answers to the fiendishly fastidious Beatles trivia quiz. It's an effort. Uh, oh. I'll, yeah. I'll have some refreshment while you t- uh, talk about them. Fire away, young man. All right, ho. Eyes down, look in here. Uh, I'll run through the questions one more time and then give you the answers. So, Stuart Cliff's there. Stuart Sutcliffe's middle name, please. He had two middle names. What were they? Uh, the name of the breakaway record label that linked to Apple that did all sort of uh, entrepreneurs, whatever you call it, sort of way out music. And uh, what happened on August the 20th, 1969? I would like to know. Right. I think I've got two out of the three. Question number one. <clears throat> Stuart Sutcliffe's middle names. Any idea? Um, hand up, sir. Sir. Yeah, sir. Uh, sir. Yes, Gardner. Yes, what does he need? Sir. Is it Ferguson Victor? It is. Well done. Stuart of Ferguson of Victor Sutcliffe. What a name. With two S's in wow. Ferguson. Wow. Yeah. Sounds more like a, a car, really. The does, Ferguson yeah. Oh, Victor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, drive it now. Yes. And the name of the record label linked to Apple that uh, released avant garde sort of music. Any oh, yeah. idea? Yeah, um, it was electronic stuff, wasn't it? It was. A lot of crazy stuff. Aye. Um, and a good thing, too, really. I think it was good for them to experiment like they did. Um, Zapple. That's it. Z. Well done. Aye, aye. Zapple. And George Harrison released uh, Wonderwall. Oh, he did, didn't he? On yeah. that album, yeah. which I have at home. Yeah. Somewhere in the loft. And uh, finally, 
what happened on August the 20th, 1969? Not okay. a clue. Not a clue. Right, the Beatles were in Abbey Road. Yeah. And uh, they did a song called I Want You, She's So Heavy. You know, with a big riff at the end oh, of it. Oh, fantastic. It goes on and on and on. Uh, and it stops all of a sudden, didn't it? Hmm. Well, it, they actually literally cut the tape. Then they just, right, we'll cut it there. Cut the tape. Ooh. And also a very memorable time because that was the last time the Beatles were all together in Abbey Road Studios. Ah, uh, they had something they to do with They weren't there anymore yeah. after that. Uh, Singly maybe, but not all together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ever since, I suppose. Nice. Uh, um, so oh, blimey, That yeah. was it. Oh, oh, very interesting date, that. Never, never could have connected that up, really. I would have said something to do with them finishing. But um, 69 led to 70 and it was, a, well... It all started you, you going a bit... Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, hey, cheers, Mark. Ah, so there we are. And I uh, thank you myself. Round of applause <laughs> to me. And now we'll join Carl with part two of the Cynthia Lennon story. 1957 and beyond. Another one of Carl's well-researched epics. So pull up a beanbag and let's have it, Carl. Okay, folks. Part two, Cynthia Lennon's story, a brief history of a very ordinary girl. Uh, from 1957, Cynthia and John were an item, and uh, the details of their romance very well documented. And being students, they always had limited funds, and they were always spending afternoons in, in sort of Chinese restaurants, Chinese coffee bars, with one cup of coffee between them. And it was always like just college-related stuff. So um, the thing was that uh, Cynthia had no funds, was in love, and her and John just kept things going until she was trying to finish her ADT, her teacher, art teacher training course. She stayed at home in uh, Hoylake up until about 1962, but she wasn't very well around 1960 because she had some stomach pains. And she uh, found out when she was staying over in Stuart Sutcliffe's flat in Gambia Terrace at uh, Hillary Mansions. Um, and as a result, she was rushed to her local hospital over, over the water, over the River Mersey, in a place called Hoylake Cottage Hospital in Mells. And uh, Mells is a funny place. It's spelt funny, and Mark will spell it for the audience. It's M-E-O-L-S. That's it. Pronounced? Meals, if you're posh, but Mells to everybody I always else. say Mells. It's, it's Mells. I looked at first time I saw it, I went, what? Anyway. And I've been in that hospital as well, because I had my adenoids out there. Oh, right. Oh, well, uh, so are there they, you go. Are you any better for it? Oh, wait, pardon? <laughs> It was, I was going a bit deaf in one ear, so they took me out of noise. Oh, I see. Pardon? Um, uh, so, <laughs> folks, this this is a running joke. Be prepared. Uh. So, poor old Cynthia, she was diagnosed at the hospital, Hoylake Cottage, with a grumbling appendix, and she had to spend two weeks in convalescence there. So, like Mark mentioned, did John ever come up to uh, Hoylake on his own? Well, he often did, uh, to visit, stay over, have egg and chips. Uh, spend uh, days with her and go to the pub and whatnot. And uh, he brought George over one particular uh, time. They came by train and they popped into the hospital. And even though it kind of miffed Cynthia a wee bit that uh, John was was not on his own, he'd brought his Bessie with him. And uh, difficult to say the least. But um, they, they nipped down the road, went to see Lillian after the hospital visit. Now they get egg and chips and then they went home via Hoylake Station. So... <laughs> You know, always never missed an opportunity to get fed. So in 1962, uh, Cynthia moved away from Hoylake. She went to live in Liverpool in a little place called 93 Garmoyle Road in Allerton. 
Um, we've been there. It's one of the strangest places I've ever been because yeah. I never knew this stuff. And uh, the word is that she was uh, trying to get her teaching experience by locating herself nearby. And she was at two schools based in a place called Garston, which is South Liverpool. Uh, she didn't stay with her mum because her mum had gone and rented out the house that she lived in because she was Lillian Powell was going to be a baby, uh, a babysit for some relatives out in Canada. So uh, she nipped away for a while, and when she was away, Cynthia was busy being a student, being a teacher, trainer, trainee teacher. She went to go in Liverpool. Her mum went to Canada, and the house was up for rent. And that led to a few complications a bit a bit later on. Luckily, uh, Cynthia managed to get um, John round once or twice, but then he had to nip off to Hamburg. So she got very lonely. And at that time, Paul was dating a lady called Dot, Dorothy Roan. And she managed to convince Dot, who didn't live far away, actually. <laughs> he said, why didn't you come and live in a bedsit with me in this bedsit house? So they both stayed at Garmoyle Road in Allerton and they kept each other company and waited for Paul and John to come back from Hamburg. So um, this is when the Beatles were just about starting to take off. Things were paying off at long, long last. <coughs> Meanwhile, Cynthia had a part-time job working on the cosmetics counter at a place called Woolworths in Allerton, uh, very near Penny Lane, as most things are. And uh, what she didn't realise was when John did come back, it wasn't very long before Cynthia became pregnant. Mm. Okay, so things got complicated. Now, Mimi wasn't very approving of this. And when a wedding was suggested, because that was the things that was the way things were done then, um, me, Auntie Mimi, John's auntie, didn't want to attend the actual registry office wedding. Uh, it was a place called Mount Pleasant in Liverpool. And that was going to take place 23rd of August 1962. So, um, the complication was that Cynthia's mother had come back from a work in Canada just a little bit early, but had to go back out on the 22nd of August 1962, so she couldn't even see her own daughter get wed. So luckily it was down to Brian Epstein to be a witness, as George was, Ringo didn't get an invite, and um, uh, that night uh, they were hoping to do well, because... That night at the Cavern, the band were uh, being filmed by Granada TV, singing Some Other Guy. Very strange couple of days that must have been. So the next day, the 23rd of August, uh, John and Cynthia wed. And it was down to Brian to be the limo driver and get things sorted. But he didn't have very sophisticated reception. It was just down the road in a place we've been to called Reese's. Reese's Cafe, cafeteria, posh word. And they went there and they got wed. They had a kind of a honeymoon, which was at uh, Brian's Secret Flat, which is based in Falconer Street in Liverpool. Um, and then eventually they went back to Mendips. Now, they couldn't go to Hoy Lake to live because the house was still for rent. So it was difficult. But uh, in no time at all, it was April 63, and Cynthia, heavily pregnant, had to have a baby. And John was on tour, being a Beatle, a famous Beatle at that, being very famous. And things were taken off big style. And... Uh, she went and delivered the baby, or got got the baby Julian, at Sefton General. Uh, she did return to Mendips, and Auntie Mimi did her best to sort of deal with it and deal with her. But bringing up a baby and everything was mm, getting difficult, but she persevered. Uh, luckily, when the band were, I would say, officially famous, they played, uh, they stayed in Paris. Mark was talking about Paris before. And they stayed in the Georges Sank Hotel. Oh, there we go, I'm burping again. Such, <laughs> Not very good. Such is, is my excitement. Terrible. <clears throat> um, <yeah. laughs> 
As long as I don't do anything else. Um, so um, John managed to get Cynthia to the George Sank Hotel on a belated honeymoon on, from the 16th of uh, September to October of 1963. And it was great because uh, luckily they bumped into Astrid Kircher from Hamburg in Paris as well, uh, there at the same time. Brian Epstein was there. It was jolly old fun. And they stayed there for a while. So as soon as that was over, John had to go on another tour. And so Cynthia had to or decided to leave Mendips and go back home to Hoylake, where she came from. But Lillian Powell, her mum, had um, said, well, actually, we're still renting out the house we own, and we had another month to go. So they went and rented what I would say is not a grotty one, but it was um, a bed sitting nearby in a place called Sandtoft in Alderley Road. Do you know the one I mean, Mark? The big, big It's still there. Possibly. Yeah, it was run by Mr and Mrs Vine. Oh. And Cynthia recalls it was a very large old house, several bedsits, filled with retired and invalid old folks, spinsters, old bachelors, communal kitchen, five quid a week. wasn't ideal, but it was a stopgap for a whole yeah. month. And quite a comparison with her, Julian and her mum stuck in this bedsit for about a month compared to the five-star treatment they had at the Georges Sanko no. Anyway, it rolls around. Oh, in November 63, John was still away on tour and Cynthia decided, I'll get Julian christened. So she wants to do it in the house, uh, in the church right opposite where she came from, in Trinity Road. And there literally is a, was a church there called Hoylake Parish Church. Uh, as a child, she went there as a Sunday, a Sunday school and she wanted the ceremony uh, because she wanted it. And the local vicar of Hoylake, the Reverend Canon Donald Devereux, he obliged and she brought along two friends. I'm going to ask Mark if he knows these people. Go on. Go on. Um, so Cynthia had some friends and they were invited. A childhood friend was a lady called Jacqueline Reeves and her mother was called Frances Reeves. And Cynthia's mate was Jacqueline. And Francis was Lillian's friend, and they lived in a road called Elm Terrace. My nana used to say there was, I remember her talking about Mrs Reeves, who lived round the corner. It could be that lady. Well, I remember Mrs other, Reeves and Mrs other, Dodd, who lived next door well, to her. Well, around the time so, John, John Lennon's own son <coughs> was getting christened, fans started appearing, no. wondering if Cynthia existed, heard uh, about this marriage he had, and so on. They were trying to piece things together, so the press were in town. Yeah. And um, luckily, uh, she got the child christened and people knew she was a married Mrs Lennon. And uh, that's all well and good. And she retreated back to Trinity Road, where she was allowed to go back to now, yeah. back at 18 Trinity Road. And the person who was on the door, man at the door, the police, was a fellow called William Reeves, who was a PC, who was married to uh, Francis Reeves and the dad of... Jacqueline Reeves. So the Reeves family were quite heavily involved Aye. in looking after Lillian and Cynthia while he was staying there. Um, you can imagine the turmoil of being married to a Beatle when Beatlemania was taken off. And poor Lily, uh, poor Cynthia had it all when she was stuck in Hoylake even. The press just descended. Yeah, yeah. So around uh, November 63, she left Hoylake. She couldn't take the, the pace anymore. People were stalking her and people were following her in and out of shops with a pram. So she nipped away, went to live in London, and she ended up living with John and Kenwood in the stockbroker belt. So she managed as best she could, and the trouble was uh, she still kept her roots back in Hoylake in, in the Whittle. But it, it moves on. Her life with John is famously well known. It kept on going, and even though there were times when the 
the Beatles, all the Beatles themselves once came round to the house at Trinity Road uh, around 65. They all came home for a break and they popped in to see Lillian and say hello. Uh, it did surprise the local neighbours that four Beatles were climbing in and out of a cab uh, in Trinity Road, but they did. Sure. So let's let's move the clock a little bit higher, further up. And by 1968, uh, John and Cynthia weren't really an item anymore. The relationship had broken down and they got divorced. And she married a fellow called Roberto Bassanini, and he was the heir to a hotel chain. And he lived in London, as you can imagine. But um, it didn't take so long when uh, they too divorced, and Cynthia decided to go back home, back to Hoylake. And in 1974, she came back to live in a place called Rosebank in Redstone Close in Mel's, that was the aforemen aforementioned Mel's. And she moved in, and she was she's in the phone book, Cynthia Bassanini. Uh, and all this time, there's Julian growing up, going to school. Now, the school he went to was Kingsmead School in Mills. Now, is, how big a school is that, Mark? It's quite a big school. Yeah. Is yeah. it a posh school? It, I would say it's a posh school. Nice big playing field. It's a go. private school, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you go private. past on the train, you used to see them all playing football and rugby. Rugby? Rugby. With an I. Yes. Um, so all I know is that was his fifth school up to that point. So uh, he, he did his best. But the funny thing was, John Lennon, his dad, wasn't giving him music lessons or nothing. This was given by his gym teacher, a fellow called Brian Wynn, who lived local. And uh, he, he taught him guitar. And uh, we know Julian Lennon became a musician, but his dad helped a bit later on. But at that time, no, not much, not much. Um, also... Uh, uh, there's a funny fact is that when Julian was trying to sort of get his ties back with his dad, this is when John Lennon was sort of living with my my Pang and 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 things were going on in America and John couldn't leave America, so Julian went to see his dad in America. So uh, there were trips organised so Julian could pop over and see his dad in New York, and it was helped by Patty Boyd, Eric Clapton, George Harrison's girlfriend, wife. Um, and it was helped by Elton John. Um, now, the funny thing is, who lived up the road from Cynthia? Elton John's dad. He lived in a place called 1A, Mel's Drive, Hoylake. I've seen a picture of it. And with Elton John outside of it. So um, that was all organised through Elton John, Patty Boyd, and Cynthia just let um, Julian go to see his dad. And famously, around that time, he recorded a little song at the end of one of John's albums called Ya Ya. He only plays drums on it, but he's, he's all right. He's on walls and bridges as much as I remember. Aye. Um, so thereafter, um, John John kept in touch with Julian and he kept on ringing the house in Hoylake. Uh, later on, though, Cynthia moved out to live in Wales because she uh, uh, got, got on famously with a fellow called John Twist and they went to live in a place called Rithin, spelt Ruthin. And they opened up a bed and breakfast place. I mean, if you wanted to stay famous, open up a bed and breakfast right. place. Wow, let's go and stay <laughs> there then. And it was called Oliver's Bistro, uh -huh. and that was in Rithin. Um, and of course, Julian had to stay at the local school there, another private school. But um, strangely, uh, the bed and breakfast <coughs> thing was helped along by Paul's stepmother, a fellow called Angela, uh, who was Jim McCartney's wife. And she used to pop down to North Wales, it wasn't far and uh, helped her run the B&B. Um, unfortunately, it didn't last, didn't last too long. Coming to the close now of Cynthia Lennon's life, so uh, it's enough to say that um, she did okay. She managed to keep going, but this was their third marriage, which eventually came to a close about 1981. 
at the end of her third marriage, she moved into Penrith, which is in Cumbria, uh, sort of Lake District area. And at this time, around 1984, Julian Lennon got himself famous. He became a musician, produced a very good album, I quite liked it, called Volot. And that was a worldwide hit. So he didn't do too bad all on his own. So uh, luckily, that helped. And Cynthia must have been very proud at the time. But around 2002, Cynthia remarried for a fourth time. She married a fellow called Noel Charles, uh, out in Barbados. And that marriage lasted about 10 years, about, about 11 years, 10 or 11 years. But um, the thing was, Cynthia was always connected with her friends from our college, always connected with Julian, always connected with uh, Jackie and Julia, who were John Lennon's step, uh, I suppose half-sisters, might be the word, and all her old mates. And unfortunately, her, her mum, Lillian, died around 1985. And similarly to poor Cynthia died in 2016 in Spain, living in Spain. So it was a rather a full life for rather unexpectedly an average girl. Tarkal, you're going to have the rest of the week off after that. Uh, going to have a lie down and a, and a biscuit. <clears throat> Talking of talking, it's about time we stopped, I oh, think. Yes. So it's nearly morning now. Uh, so we've taken our curtain call, bow and everything else. Scoot off sharpish. <laughs> and uh, oh, we missed last orders at the, the swinging spawn. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So happy, we'll happy hours. Not happy anymore. Not happy. No, 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 no not happy about it. Very no. dis despondent. Today. So, Carl, I think we ought to uh, exit. Uh, I'm not very good at anagrams. Shall we just say ta-ra? If you can. Ta-ra. Ta <laughs> it's hard to say that, isn't it? Very complicated word. Spell it out. Maybe uh, not. Uh, a T. No, I don't know. Give up. Okie doke. So here's another Beatles places podcast. Comes to uh, the end of the red bit on the C90 cassette. And it's time to go. I, I can't go. Why not? Because I live here. Oh. <laughs> well, the good news is we'll be back again soon. We'll have the regular Beatles trivia quiz. Oh, yes. More of Cole's random mutterings. Of course. Whether we want it or not. Uh, Our big feature next time is um, The Teachers Who Taught Me. All yeah. about the Beatles schools and teachers, which we think you'll enjoy quite a bit. Uh, it's a funny one, yeah, it's yeah. a good funny one. So thank you very much for listening to the Beatle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. Feel free to catch up on any of our podcast libraries so far. They're all there. Check out Cole's Beatle Places Instagram and, of course, his marvellous Beatles e-books. What's the matter? I've knit. Built, built you up enough here. Yeah. What more do you want? You forgot to mention me new range of men's fragrances. Oh, yes. And the eyelash tongs. Not those smelly ones. And those shoe deodorizers. Yeah. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> And what else? The shoe polisher, automatic shoe polisher. Uh, yeah, automatic shoes, that's what you need first. <laughs> right, come on, enough of that sort of chin music. Let's, let's go. Mine's a pint and a oh, pie. That's enough. That, so that's enough for me. And uh, that's enough of him. Till half an hour. Till half an hour. Thanks for listening to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. We hope to see you again real soon and don't forget to visit the gift shop on the way out. <laughs>